0: This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. All right, welcome to church today. I'm so glad to be with you. It is an honor to get to continue this series. Hey, our pastor's in the house. Say what's up to Pastor Kelly. Our pastors have been traveling, spending some intentional time with their family, but we're glad to have you in the house. Pastor Landon is actually would be right now finishing up his message at Hope Alive Church. He's getting to minister there, um, but I can't wait for him to come back and minister here. You know what I'm saying? Um, We love our pastors. Um, If we haven't got the chance to meet, my name is Crystal T. Arena. I get the honor of serving here as an associate pastor over our worship and small groups team and um, just love, love this church, love our pastors and just the, the heart that this church carries, and I said this a few weeks ago, but just if you're new here, I'm carrying with me on the stage by proxy my firstborn son, Gideon, today, and um, before I came up up here to you today. I did my deep breathing. in first service, I was already out of breath. I said, I just started. Uh, I just entered the third trimester. So uh, last time, if you are here two weeks ago, I asked you, uh, mom's in the room, start praying in tongues. Now it's like really serious. Okay. I'm, ca- I'm counting on you to make it through this. So we're going to do this together. We're going to call on the name of the Lord. It's going to be okay. Um, It's going to be good. We're going to learn something from the Word today. We're in week five of our Flipped series, and we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon ever preached. I use the word famous because even non-Christians would know things from this sermon. This is the same sermon where we get the golden rule, right? Treat others as you want to be, right? We all know it. Um, This is the sermon where Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow. Just so many famous parts of scripture that even non-Christians would be able to quote to you because they are just full of wisdom that even the world um, sees as wisdom, have been from this sermon. And we're looking at specifically the first part of this sermon. So the whole sermon goes through the first five chapters, five or so chapters of Matthew. And we're looking at the first part. And in this first part, this is how Jesus chooses to open the most famous sermon in history. We were even talking about before this that, that Jesus knew the relevancy that it would be for those who heard it then just as much now. So it makes us kind of lean in and what is Jesus saying here? And the way he opens this is by listing groups of people and he calls them blessed. He's listing groups of people and, and, and each of these groups of people are those who will see the kingdom of heaven but it's not what proceeds is not what we would think as blessed. If 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 you haven't got to hear the rest of the series, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. We talked and really dove in even in the first week about this word blessed a little bit more. But the word blessed, I'll summarize it for you, is not you got a lot of money or favorable circumstances. This word blessed means to be fully satisfied. Fully satisfied. This is Supreme bliss to the utmost, like the the highest form of contentment that you can get. So, again, Jesus says this these are the people in the world who are the most content, who, who are fully satisfied. But what precedes those words are not what we would consider blessed. I'll prove it to you. Today's, we are studying Blessed Are the Merciful. Let's read the full thing together. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now this is a buzzword in church, but but this is not how we naturally operate. We are not a merciful people. We're not in a culture that is merciful. We're not in a world that is merciful. You can turn on any kind of TV. You can just scroll through your phone for a number of seconds and know that we don't value mercy in our world today. We're a people of vengeance, of canceling, of one and done. I'm going to catch you in the act and let's get them. Let's look for the enemy. We it's even in our entertainment. Like we want to be entertained by by things that that administer justice. We 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 love movies like The Avengers. We would never watch a, a series of movies called The Pardoners or the merciful. I don't even know if I would watch that. You know, we, we want to see, even in our entertainment, just people who are wrong get justice. So why does Jesus say that we're fully satisfied when we're merciful? You see, we have told ourselves a narrative that it's, it is justice that's going to save the world. But mercy is what God asks us to do. We're going to look at that today. So the, the definition just by Webster definition of mercy, is compassionate or kind forbearance shown toward an offender, an enemy, or, or other person in one's power. I think that last part is important, other person in one's power, because you, you might say, well, I'm not a, a manager or a boss or a pastor. like I don't have anyone in my power. But I think what this means simply is that we can't do a lot about all the people in all the world running around, but we can do something about those that are in our circle, in our everyday influence. And this is showing compassion, not just to somebody out there and that we don't even know, but actually administering mercy to those who are right around us in our everyday lives. The shortened, the shortened um, definition that we could use for mercy today would be not giving someone what they do deserve. So I've juxtaposed here grace and mercy. They're, they're often talked about in, in the same, even scriptures that we're going to read today, but they're actually different. See, mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve, but grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. And if I was thinking, I would have actually flipped. I would have flipped these two because mercy actually precedes grace. Because this is even what God did for us. that He gave us mercy, the punishment that we deserve for our sins, he did not give to us. But we also got grace, free salvation. So mercy happens and then grace precedes it. And, and this is important to know about, about this because when we're focused on justice, we have to remember that God, we talked about this a few weeks ago, God is holy. And what that means is not just that God is without sin. The, the thing that makes God holy, the thing that makes him worthy, like we were singing together, worthy you are, worthy you were, worthy you are, worthy forever you will be. We sing things like that to our God. Because he is so perfect, so holy, that he is not just just sometimes and then he decides to be merciful sometimes. It's not that he is righteous sometimes and then decides to be good sometimes. It's that he is all of it, all at once, all of the time. That he can suspend his character at the very same time, be a God of mercy and be a God of justice. And so we can only learn from him because we are not the same. We are not holy. So we can only be one at, the, at one time. And so we have got to lean in to what God is saying about mercy. I think of it like this, justice without mercy is mean, but mercy without justice is meaningless. It's important to understand that when we're talking about mercy, we're not talking about an absence of mercy recognizing what the other person did or recognizing that it was wrong because mercy without the need for justice would actually be meaningless if, if it just was given but, but there was no justice needed. And, and the story that really paints this well for us is in John chapter eight. You might be familiar with this story. It is the woman who is caught in adultery. So we could say that she was caught In a pretty serious sin. And what happens is that the Pharisees drag her out of her house and accuse her of sin and parades her around and says, You know, Jesus, we could actually, in our law, stone this woman for the sin that she committed. And then you know how it goes that Jesus said, Well, then, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. And it's not that Jesus excuses sin. He actually goes on later in this story to say, woman, go and sin no more. So we're not taking out justice, but the call to us, the call that he made to the Pharisees would be that if you think that you could administer justice, let it be the one who's without sin. And as we know about that story, that is no one. That is no one on the earth. So we have to look to Jesus. We have to look for God for his, his righteousness, and we have to be on the side of mercy. I often ask myself, if, if it's true that we will be shown mercy if we are merciful, why aren't we merciful? Why don't we do it? If God said to do it, why don't we do it? Because, you know, sometimes God says do something, and we, we don't do it. So why? I think it's, it's an amnesia problem that we forget We are a forgetful people. You know why the the Israelites stayed in the desert for 40 years instead of just a a few days journey? It's because they were forgetful of how faithful their God was. And they turned toward complaining and and everything. We forget what God has done. There's a quote that is talking about this passage specifically. I don't have it on the screen for you. I forgot to highlight it for them. But, But just listen to this quote that says this. Maybe you can be trusted to wield rage righteously, but I can't. My rage will most likely do little more than add to the ugliness in the world. So in trying hard not to be ugly, I need to choose a posture of compassion. I don't mean a quietism or a passivity that avoids prophetic confrontation. Rather, I mean a prophetic confrontation that comes from a place of genuine love for all, not just for the victims but for the victimizers as well. What Jesus did in this moment was to break the spell of the mob to call with a call of individual self-reflection. I think we often are trying to cast the judgment out. We're great, we're great judges of other sin, but we're lawyers of our own sin. We we always have judgment to cast out. But we are often not reflective enough for the judgment that actually we deserve. One of the most powerful things about the prophets in the Old Testament is that they're always praying we. God, forgive my people. Forgive us. They're not like, forgive the people out there. I'm great, but they're, they're really bad, God, and you should save them and make them like me. No, the prophets, they would pray, God, I'm standing in the gap. We are a sinful people. Isaiah said, I am unclean and I live in a people that is unclean. We forget that we are one in the same that need the mercy of God. So, so we're going to walk through a few ways together that we can remember and it lead us to mercy. So we're going to talk through self-reflection that leads to a merciful heart. Because we've got to remember together. The first one is to remember simply how merciful God is to us. Someone who models this so well is is Paul. And we actually looked at this scripture a few weeks ago, just the end part of it. But we're going to look at the context, the full context of this verse in 1 Timothy. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. We talked about this verse in the context of humility. It's a, it's a humbling of oneself to remember that I needed mercy. Jesus Leads us to pray prayers like this: "Forgive us our debts, as we has forgiven, as we as we have forgiven, our debtors." This is actually in um, in one of the most famous prayers. The disciples actually ask Jesus, "Jesus, how do we pray?" They see that Jesus goes to pray with God, and so they ask him a very good question, which is, "How do you pray?" And, and then you know what precedes, our Father who art in heaven. I only know the King James Version off of the top of my head, so it's, it's a little dated, but hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And then he says this, which I've placed in the NIV Version for you. <laughs> and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is a, a daily prayer that Jesus leads us to pray. He knows that this needs to be a part of our daily prayer, not just forgiving others but a part of our daily prayer to ask for forgiveness for ourselves. Because the truth is, if we think we can earn God's forgiveness, we're going to make others earn our forgiveness. And we're going to miss the beautiful movement of this prayer that we, we are forgiven and then we forgive our debtors. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great That while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. There's that mercy and grace. We receive mercy and then grace. It's this beautiful movement of once we have been forgiven of our disobedience. It says we are spiritually dead. We weren't even living real life. He brought us to life. And what happens is that the forgiven forgive. And, and, you know, the world is bad at this, right? We talked about how, how unforgiving the world is. And it's in our entertainment. So we can blame Hollywood all we want. But you know sometimes who, who the most unmerciful group can be? It's always someone right in the front. It's like, the church. Uh, it happened first service. They're like, the church. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's the church. Like sometimes we can be full of judgment. Like, oh, did you see what she let her daughter wear to church? And, and the bulletin didn't have this. And I just really think we should. Like, we are an unmerciful group of people. And I I think it's for no other reason in that we forget that we needed that same mercy when we walked through the doors. A big, val- the, the biggest value here in our church is that we want anyone to walk through those doors. That If, if you're here for the first time or you're new around here, we... We intentionally make this a space where it doesn't matter what what you walked in with. It doesn't matter what your past is, that you can be welcomed here, that you can receive mercy here. It's something that we strive to do because we know that if we forget for any one second that we needed that mercy, that same mercy and grace when we walked in the doors, then we won't give it to others. Because this is the truth. We want justice when wronged. But we want mercy when wrong. Mercy is real good when we're wrong. We want justice when wrong, but mercy when wrong. So we should have this disposition of mercy. It says in James 2.13 that mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's something to wrestle with as Christians. That God in his infinite wisdom would tell us that mercy triumphs over judgment. So even in his own character, he suspends these things at the same time. But he's teaching us, if we have a bend, make it mercy. We see this, God's value for this in in a story in the New Testament about this man who owed another the modern-day equivalent of $5 billion. So in the room, we can all agree, that's a lot of money, right? We can agree on that. If you don't agree... I've got some ideas of where you can invest and, um, and just into the Purpose Church. Got big vision here at this church. But most of us, we'd say $5 billion, lots of money. I could never pay that in a lifetime. But this, this man who owed money, he, he received mercy. And, and his debt was canceled. But then he turns around, finds another man who owes him the equivalent of $10,000, which is a lot of money, right? But you could pay that off in a lifetime. You might not be able to pay off $5 billion of debt, but you could pay $10,000. And he wrings his neck for for $10,000 and holds him to it. And, and, And this man comes back and says, I forgave you as far more than you forgave this man. It ends like this. Shouldn't you have mercy on others just as I had mercy on you? This is what God is asking us to do. He is asking us to have mercy on each other. I'm not a parent yet. I'm working on it. But I imagine that as parents, and if you have multiples, you want them to get along, right? Most of you, you want your kids to get along. You lead them to things like tell your brother you're sorry. Like we lead them to... Be merciful toward each other. They may not get it at first, and they may not want to. um, But we even naturally just lead our kids to this. Why? Because it's the same heart of the Father that says, I want you to forgive my children, your brothers, your sisters. I want you to have a merciful heart. That's the first thing that we can do is just remember how merciful God was to us. The second thing is to remember the cross. And these two things sound the same, but they're actually quite different. In all honesty, I personally struggle with the first. I've asked questions, and maybe you have too. We, uh, Pastor Jesse reminded us last week that you should ask questions about the Bible. He said something like, don't leave your brain at home uh, when you come to church. Like, we can ask questions. And there's a question and moral ambiguity of, well, God has had to forgive me of this sin. Surely, I know what he's forgiven me of. But there are some things that he has not forgiven me of. Like, isn't their sin worse than mine? God has not had to forgive me of murder. God has not had to forgive me of some terrible things that I know humanity is capable of. So where does that leave us? How do we wrestle with that? I think we just look to the cross. and, And look to Jesus, who in his final moments of life. After he was beaten, humiliated, abused, and was innocent, and he was betrayed by his friends. Like, I don't want you to miss this. These, these are the people who walked with him on earth, his disciples, his best friends, and when asked if they even knew Jesus at the first, at the first moment, Peter said, no, I don't know him. Don't give me his punishment. I I don't know that man, three times. These men that claimed to follow him, they said, Jesus, I I will follow you anywhere to the point of death, but they didn't. And Jesus, looking at all of these people, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I love how Paul mentions that I was ignorant in sin. I'm not saying that people, not everyone knows what, what they're doing. You know, there is a weight to, to sin. There are consequences for sin. But, but Jesus says they, if they really knew, they don't know the weight of the sin that they're committing. And so if Jesus, who looks at his accusers who committed the worst acts of sin, if he can choose to forgive if he can in that moment look on them with love, it reminds me, there may be some things I don't understand, but I am still not righteous enough, not, surely not as righteous as Jesus, to in that moment forgive the unforgivable. We're proved again and again that only God can be trusted with that decision. And our God in that moment chose mercy and forgiveness. The third thing that we can remember, and this one's a little weighty, is to remember that we will all face God one day. I'm not about to get all hellfire brimstone. It's okay, calm down. But it's a reality, right? That that we will meet God and we want that to be a good meeting. You know, as as leaders our, I, our pastors do this so well equipping us for for life here but also life eternal life with god that is ultimately our job this is not a social club that we create on sundays so that we can just high five each other and get donuts and and mints and and coffee and go home this is going to happen we're going to face god one day and how many of you you were in school and and you opened your test and you're looking at the questions and you thought i was not prepared for this they didn't teach that I don't know what, what these answers are. We love you, teachers. I'm, there, were, there were just some times where I thought, uh, we watched a movie that day, and now I'm <laughs> supposed to take a test. We don't, want, we don't want to be that. We want to prepare you. We want you to, when you are in front of that test, that you, you say, I know, and I was prepared for this. The truth is, is this if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins it's weighty it's it's something to weigh that we can actually not receive forgiveness if we don't forgive others and so the disciples then after Jesus said this to them <laughs> asked a practical question, like, how many of you, you're in church, and you're like, okay, this is good, you know, like, I, f- I feel good, you know, worship was great, but like, how do I, okay, just tell me how to live out this Christian life. So, so one of the disciples says, okay, Jesus, but how many times would should we forgive? If you could put it in a numerical sort of number so that we could know and we could achieve it and then we could get to heaven and say, God, we gave, forgave this many times Seven times? <laughs> These disciples, like, they're fun, but they're just like us. Like, we're, not, we're no different, actually. Seven times? Jesus said, well, how about this? Seven times 70 times. And I'm not a math person, but I did math for you. I love you. The equivalent of 70 times seven, if you never went to sleep, that would be forgiving every three minutes. Every three minutes, and it and it's not about. This, this is one of the most helpful things I've heard. It's not about going to God and said, "Okay," and turning in a timesheet, right? Like, God, I served on the worship team for this many hours, and then I was at the Fourth of July outreach, and that's time and a half, um, you know, because holiday, um, and. And then I also forgave about, I tried every three minutes a day, but God, you know, I mean, I had to sleep some of those. And so it's not about turning in a timesheet when we're standing before God. This is about turning in a medical chart, like a picture of what happened inside, a picture of your heart condition toward others. Because we may not always get it right. But if we get it wrong, let's let's let our heart position lean toward mercy. Let's stand before God, having loved too much rather than judged too harshly. Here's the promise in that. You must show mercy to others or God will not show mercy to you when he judges you. But the person who shows mercy can stand without fear at the judgment. Could you imagine standing before a holy God who created everything with no fear? saying, God, I didn't always get it right. I didn't always get it right, but my heart to serve you and love you was to be merciful to those that you love. I have no fear because I know how merciful you were to me. I know that it was an act of mercy that you did on the cross, and so I forgive others. And then this is our role. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I want to go back to that moment where it says to clothe yourselves. And just assure someone out there that mercy is not a feeling. Forgiveness, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a mood that you're ever in like it maybe maybe you're just actually there is a spiritual gift of mercy and so this may actually be something spiritual that God has put in you to do so you might say like yeah like I am a merciful person but but if not just knowing that this isn't a feeling is is helpful you don't have to feel merciful God is not asking you to do that. He's asking you to make the choice. It's, it's to clothe yourselves. It's like a jacket that you have to go in the closet, choose to put on every day. It's a choice. It's something we're called to. If, if, if one rung of Christian maturity is to be merciful and to have a heart posture of mercy, then I would say that another rung of our Christian maturity is to be minister's. Of mercy. I want to talk for a moment about our ministry of mercy because we are called to go out, to then go out into this world and see all of the chaos and the violence and the vengeance that's going on around us and not just choose to forgive but also teach to forgive, to also then bring others together. This has been actually a personal, meaningful thing in my life. See, something, a fun b- fact about me is that I actually don't know my biological dad. And this has just been a part of my story. And um, and my mom is comfortable with me sharing this. It's a part of my story. And, and so my mom is actually white, like as white as they come. And then my dad is like a big question mark. So actually, I don't know. Um, what my biological race is. So I get this question all the time, like, Crystal, what are you? Uh, like, that's always the question, like, what are you? Um, and I'm always like, I don't know. And they're like, you don't know. It's really fun. It's, it's just a weird, fun exchange that, that I do. Um, I don't mind it at all. Like, if you ask, I, I don't mind. I just am going to tell you. I don't know. Um, And I could do 23andMe and and, and stuff, but i say, like, it's kind of my brand, actually. You know, I just, I don't know. And I kind of like to confuse people. Um, But I didn't grow up with this concept of I'm this race or that race. And it really didn't hit me until middle school. We moved to a really small town up in North Texas that was actually quite divided still. Um, I mean, it felt like a different time on earth. And every, every one of my friends grew up in a reality where um, it was very divided, particularly between black and white. And just all this time, people were asking me to choose because I was just a little too light-skinned for one crowd, a little too dark for one crowd. Like, really, like, I had to be careful walking by some, certain people's houses. There was actually a house that I could not walk by. Um, and it was just so different. I had never grown up like that. And it really confused me. And my mom just said something so powerful to me in that time and really led me to think of it in a different way. She said, Crystal, everyone wants you to choose to pick a side. But what's, what's great about your situation is that you can stand in the middle and you can actually pull both sides together to understand each other. It's the position that you've been put in. And I remember my mom actually leading a a Bible study for the youth group in that town. There was like one youth group because it was, a, I mean, a very small town. This is like 600 people in the town. Um, lead, leads youth group, and she leads probably the first and only message that they've ever heard about how God created us and how He created us all different, but also that we're more alike than we are different. And just this lesson, it was beautiful. And she led me to not see myself as, as just representation for one group or, or another, but actually to be a minister of mercy, to actually bring people together and show them that we are more alike than we are different and under one God we serve. This is what God is calling us to do. I'll prove it to you. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point, view. What that means is we don't see people how the world sees people. We're not going to label people the way the world labels people. We're not going to put people in boxes the way the world wants to. We regard them from God's point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. So we don't even define ourselves the way the the world defines us. We're a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Here's what that does not mean that we don't excuse sin, or that, yeah, that we don't excuse it, or that we don't preach that sin is wrong or that it's corruptive to our heart, that it separates from God, all of that is true. Here's what it does mean. We are ministers of reconciliation to tell people we're not the ones who can fix it, but our God can. What Jesus did on the cross, that can reconcile you back to God. The Bible says that while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You could fill that in with a, whatever the lowest of the low in our society would be, because that's who that represented. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? These are church people, remember? These are church people saying this, like, why, why does Jesus hang out with those people? Because we, we go to church on Sunday and we, we join this club and we just don't really talk to those people. Church people. But on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I think he's calling us to do that today. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see our, the mercy of our God, or sorry, the ministry of our God was that of mercy while he was on this earth. He came to reconcile sinners to God. One of the most beautiful pictures to me in all of, all of scripture is the merciful ministry of Joseph. And this is another familiar story that you might remember in the Bible that you talked about in Sunday school, where Joseph is the youngest of, of several other sons. And Joseph is his, kind of his father's favorite. He was a promised child. And, and and so his dad loves his son. He gives him a beautiful coat. You remember the coat of many colors. Maybe you colored a picture of it um, in Sunday school. But I don't want to think of this as a familiar story today because it's actually a powerful, powerful picture of the ministry of mercy. Joseph kind of told his brothers, you know, I had this dream that I was going to be king one day. It was crazy. And so his brothers get mad and you know, again, parents, you know what you do when, you know what your siblings do when they kind of get upset or jealous of each other. They, they sell each other into slavery, right? No, no one should do that. But this is exactly what happened. His brothers sold him into slavery for basically being an annoying teenager. And so he finds himself away from his home, away from his father. Don't make this familiar. This is, This is a terrible thing that his brothers have done to him and to their father. Because their father is just left thinking that Joseph died from an animal attack. They wronged Joseph, they wronged their their father. And Joseph's whole life was hard. He then served as a slave and he was accused of things that he did not do, put in jail. And then he was only got out of jail because his gift of dream interpretation was found useful, but Joseph was really meek, if you remember that sermon, and God raised him up through that, and he was shown faithful, and so Joseph actually gets a a position of power, and and there is a famine on the land of Egypt, and Joseph finds himself as as the overseer of, of rationing out portions to each family so that they can preserve Um, all of the families through this ration. And one of the days, his brothers come up to this place where they receive the rations, the food. And Joseph has a choice. And this is actually a really, really long story. The Bible spends a lot of time on this. I really encourage you to go back and read it. Because actually, Joseph really wrestles with forgiving his brothers or not. He actually recognizes them, but he he kind of tests them and send the, sends them back home. And he thinks about making their lives miserable. He he thinks about it. And it says that multiple times he wept. Like this is emotional turmoil for him to, to forgive those who caused such pain in his life. And then it comes, then his brothers actually do recognize him and, and they, they reconcile, but then Joseph's father dies and his brothers, his brothers fear that Joseph is gonna be so angry because all of the time lost with his father. And then he's really going to administer the punishment that they deserve. And this is what happens. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge? then he will surely repay us for all of the evil that we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, before he died, your father commanded, this is what you are to say to Joseph. I beg you, please forgive the transgression and sin of your brothers, for they did you wrong. So now Joseph, please forgive the transgression of of the servants of of the God of your father. When this message came to him, Joseph wept because he had a decision that he could forgive them. But he also had the power to administer justice. But this is what happens. His brothers came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph replied, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I can't administer righteousness. I can't administer judgment. As for you, what you intended against me for evil, God intended for good. In order to accomplish a day like this, to preserve the lives of so many people, Therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. There's there's the grace, right? So he could have just not given them what they deserve, but he also provided even more for them what they don't deserve, a strength and a courage that comes from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph reassured his brothers and spoke kindly to them. I wanna encourage you today by reminding you you're gonna need the same mercy one day that you're giving out. Again, I'm not a parent yet, but you know maybe you would agree with me that I'm probably gonna mess up sometimes. I'm gonna need the same mercy. I'm gonna need mercy in all areas of life. Will we be given it because we were merciful? I wanna challenge us today to live our lives Stand before God without fear, having loved too much, then judged too harshly. And God says in the Bible, God will not be mocked. God will turn what the enemy meant for evil into good in your life. That's a promise. Don't worry about the justice being delivered. God will deliver it. Oh, the bliss, the supreme blessedness, the utmost contentment of the one who shows mercy toward an offense and compassion toward ignorant sin, for they will receive the peace of knowing that they are right with God and enjoy being a recipient of God's mercy for all eternity. That's all we want for you today, to have peace when you stand before God, to have peace in this life and the one after. Today, during response time, I just have two simple questions. They're actually on the response time cards that you can get at any of the four tables. That just says, what is God saying to me? And what is one way I can obey him? See, I don't have any questions today that go specific with the message because only you really know. Only you know what person you're thinking of in your mind right now. Only you really know what God is saying in this moment. And And we can respond in different ways. Maybe while we're responding, you just need to sit and write and contemplate what God is saying. You can fill out that we have cards with those questions that you can take and you can remember it throughout the week, what your practical step is just to be, just take one step in obedience to God. We're not trying to do this to learn it all and become perfect in one day. We're just trying to take our next step in obedience to God. Maybe you need to get prayer today from our prayer team and say, I know who I need to forgive and I know what I need to forgive. And it's, it's heavy and I need, I need strength. I need God's strength to forgive. I need the courage of Joseph. I need the resolve of Jesus. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to take communion today. And as you're, you're taking that preservative filled juice in a cup remember that it was Jesus on the cross it was Jesus on the cross that we received our mercy maybe you just need to worship we're going to sing a song called mercy it's like we planned it so we could provide a moment and a space for you to worship God for all that he has done for you I just encourage that each one of us respond. Respond in some way. We, we want you to leave here knowing what God is speaking to you so that you can walk out of these doors confident to be ministers of mercy later. So if you would go ahead and stand to your feet. Before we respond, I want to pray and take this time to ask God to be in this room before we worship together. If you would pray with me, God. Would you fill this space with an atmosphere of peace, knowing that we can show mercy because we were shown mercy. Father, whoever is on the minds of the people in this room that need to receive their mercy, and it might be really hard, I pray that your courage and your strength go to them. To not just forgive here today, but 70 times seven. To be able to look their accuser in the face and say, you know what the enemy meant for evil? God did for good. You never had the power to ruin my life anyway. Only God can do this. God can redeem anything. I pray that they would stand with confidence before you with a heart disposition toward mercy. I pray for the person who is coming to you for the first time, who doesn't even know how to give themselves mercy, who is still holding themselves to their past, their sins, their shame pray that they would stretch their arms to you and receive mercy from you because you are a merciful God and mercy triumphs over judgment Jesus you came into this world for sinners not for the righteous so I pray that shame would leave people in Jesus name and if they want to come to you for the first time if you want to come to Jesus it says in the Bible that we just confess with our mouths and believe that he is Lord and we're saved. And if you wanna do that during the response time and pray that, you can pray that prayer that just says, Jesus, I make you Lord in my life and I believe you are who you say you are. And you can be confident that you will receive the mercy of God. Father, I pray for every heart as we respond and we give you genuine worship. And we say that we are living proof of what your ministry of mercy can do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing at thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.